right, in continuing our series on making the Christian life work, uh, this will be part four in this series. First part, we talked about grace. And second part, we talked about faith, which is your work as a believer. Third part, we talked about faith. We took a practical look at it and also considered faith and works and the relationship therein. Today, we're going to be continuing on to part four, where we're talking about submission. So if you open up your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us, but He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. So to give context to this passage, James has discussed the importance of how you use your tongue in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and then proceeds to contrast godly wisdom with worldly wisdom. The points being that the way you speak can do great evil and even is an indication of your overall spiritual life. And then he speaks on how godly wisdom is pure and peace-loving. Um, this all following his discourse about how saving faith is accompanied by appropriate works in chapter 2, and the importance of putting your faith into practice by being a doer and not only a hearer in chapter 1. Then we arrive at chapter 4, where James directly addresses the dissension and conflicts within the body of believers. Um, the primary focus of the book is the community of believers and not the individual only. Uh, as with many of the New Testament epistles, it's addressed to a church body, not to an individual. Though there are some that are addressed to individuals like Timothy, Titus, Philemon, things like that. It is assumed in this book that believers are part of a community or a fellowship. In this passage that we just read, James addresses the sinful roots of the internal conflicts in verses 1 through 3. He addresses its worldliness in verses 4 and 5, the need for humility in verses 6 through 10. And he finally returns to the use of the tongue, as he did earlier in the, in the book, in verses 11 through 12. And so as we are focusing on the practical Christian life, and specifically now on overcoming sin and temptation— um, there is practical instruction here in this passage for us to consider. In verses 1 through 3 of James chapter 4, you can see a number of things that we may identify with ourselves. There's internal conflicts, conflicts amongst professing believers. 
lusts and desires that result in sin, and unanswered prayers. And this could very well describe the majority of churches in America. Um, James points out their sinful desires as a source, their unfulfilled envy as a source, and their wrong motives as a source. In verses 4 and 5 of James chapter 4, we see him point the finger at worldliness. There is an underlying desire in their hearts to not stand in opposition to the world system, but to come alongside it. And the result being that they are in a state of hostility to God. Um, We can think uh, even of Paul's similar words in Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8, where he says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, finally, in coming to the passage we're going to focus on, we see James state, but he gives a greater grace. This should resonate with us because of what we've talked about God's grace, um, is that God's grace is that working of God on our behalf to accomplish what we cannot do ourselves. It's the power to do it. James goes on, James 4, 6, where he says, Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is quoted by Peter in a similar context in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, where Peter says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, if we want the grace of God to be manifest in our lives, then we need to really pay attention to this. We need the grace of God to overcome sin. God working in us the ability to be a Christian, to live the Christian life. The Christian life is impossible in our own strength, otherwise why would we need to be saved? But it's not impossible for God to do it, and we've talked about this in the past. But there is a condition given here to God giving that grace. It's humility. But even more than this, we're focusing on what James says immediately after this quotation. He says, submit, therefore, to God, James 4, 7. And so this is what we're focusing on today, submission. It is almost a four-letter word to our flesh and even the culture today. But James's instruction, after stating that God gives grace to the humble, is submit, therefore. So if you want the grace of God, then submit. He says he gives grace to the humble, therefore submit. And so we can see then that there is a direct link between humility and and submission. There's a lot of people who think they're humble, um, but they have absolutely no ability to submit to other people, and therefore that's a contradiction. Now, the Greek word used here is hupotasso. It means, um, here in this context, to cause to be in a submissive relationship, to subject, to subordinate. Um, It's a compound word whose parts hupa and tasso mean under, and arrange, order, put in a place, fix. So to submit 
as James means it, is to intentionally put yourself in a lower position under God. And of course, not all compound words are a, you know, sum total of their parts. Think of the words like butterfly. It's the same thing for Greek, but here it actually does bear out. So to arrange yourself, to put yourself in a lower position under God, and as we'll see, under others. We can see how this ties into humility. Um, To be humble means to be lowly, modest, meek, submissive, opposed to proud, haughty, arrogant, or assuming. That's Webster's 1828 Dictionary. A humble person does not put themselves over others or brag about themselves. When we are proud, we're pretty much asserting our will in a carnal or fleshly way. The it's my way or the highway kind of attitude. Of course, in a spiritual sense, we see this in those who refuse to submit to God. They refuse to yield to God's rightful authority or righteousness. Just as Paul says about the lost Jews who rejected Christ and the message of the gospel in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, he says, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. This is very easy to see in a spiritual context because we as believers know the very large chasm between us and God. But how often do we consider the fact that God has commanded us to submit to things? He's told us to submit to things, Um, specific things that he says. This then, by direct implication, means that when we fail to submit to what God has commanded us to submit to, then we are technically not actually submitting to God. So consider this. God says we are to submit to him, right? God says submit to the local authorities. I mean, as long as it doesn't contradict submitting to him, right? We then submit to the local authorities as submitting to God. When we don't, to, when we don't submit to the things that God tells us to submit to, then we are directly disobeying God. And this has many practical and spiritual repercussions. Remember that Peter mentions a similar admonition. He says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter tells the young men to submit to the elders and to clothe themselves in humility. Then again, like James says, therefore, humble yourselves. If you want the grace of God, you need to intentionally lower yourself before others and God. Um, Let's look at some direct commandments about what we are to submit to as believers. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 5, we read, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Down to verse 5, Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So we're supposed to submit to the governing authorities. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 15 and 16, we read, Now I urge you, brethren, 
you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. That you also be in, in, be in subjection to such men, and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. So we're supposed to be in subjection and humble ourselves before those who labor in the work of the ministry of the gospel. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So we're supposed to submit ourselves to other believers. Ephesians 5, 24, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. Titus 2, 9, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. So, and we can make a co- an application of this today. Employees are supposed to be subject to employers. First uh, Peter chapter two verses thirteen through fifteen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evil doers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So it says every human institution you're supposed to submit to. First Peter 2.18 Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. So even if you are an employee, even if you're a master, your employer is unreasonable, irrational, you're still supposed to submit to them. 1 Peter 5.5 5, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So young men within the body of Christ are supposed to submit to the elders of a church, of our fellowship. And so in this list, and there would be other places where you can glean certain things in the adjustment, these ones are explicitly stated, in this list, we have these things summarized as commandments. Be submissive to human governments. That is, of course, as long as they don't contradict God. Be submissive to those who labor for the gospel, that's who work in ministry. Be submissive to other believers. Wives to be submissive to their husbands. Again, as long as they don't contradict God. Employees are to be submissive to their employers. It's including those that are not righteous. We're supposed to be submissive to every human institution. Uh, this would be include um, local regulatory boards or bureaus. And the young should be submissive to the older. Now, these are things directly stated in the New Testament for us to be submissive to. Um, there are others that, by, that are there by implication. But even in these, we can see that submission is to be a part of every area of life for a person, for a Christian. Personal, professional, and public life. We are to be submissive and humble. Let's talk about the promises. Now, living a life of submission is not the most appealing to us from a human perspective. And that is why we must look at it from a heavenly perspective. Not through fleshly eyes, but through spiritual eyes, from God's perspective. We don't submit to others simply because it makes life easier. It doesn't. We're not pushovers. We don't submit to others simply because it is right. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way. It's not about justice. 
we submit to others because we are submitting to God, and he has commanded it. But God is not arbitrary. He has reasons. He has given promises regarding these things. Um, in Isaiah 57, verse 15, we read, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Um, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12, Before destruction the heart of man is haughty, or arrogant, but humility goes before honor. Uh, James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, we, we just read a few minutes ago. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Um, let's consider uh, two more passages, a little bit more lengthy. In Luke chapter 14, verses 8 through 11, we read, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's Luke 14, verses 8 through 11. Um, let's also look at Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. And starting at verse 10, Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray. And one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so you see then, the principle that bears out in Scripture is God is the one who does the exalting. And God has chosen to exalt the humble. And he hears their cries. Um, even in a sense of the gospel, we as Christians cannot be arrogant against the lost because the only difference is that they've accepted the salvation and we ha um, they, they haven't accepted the salvation and we have. We're just like them, sinners in need of a savior. And so we shouldn't be haughty or arrogant against the lost because we acknowledged it. That's not even something to consider as a, a merit in any way. And Paul himself says so in Romans chapter 4 and in Romans 3.27 that you believe in God does not merit anything. And so God exalts the humble. It's not our job to exalt ourselves or to vaunt ourselves. And whenever we stand in opposition to this, we are actually going against God. And this is not the same thing as dealing with truth. Because people say, well, what about people who are standing against truth? 
Well, no, it's not talking about you going along with error. That's not it. Because you stand with God. There is a principle to keep in mind. If the whole point of you submitting to human institutions and others is because God has commanded you to, right? And so you are submitting to these things because you're submitting to God. If these things stand against God, then that defeats the purpose. It defeats the purpose for you submitting to them in those things where they stand against God. Because they're standing in opposition to God. So if you were to submit yourself to them on those things, then then you would be denying God. You would be standing in opposition to Him. So you have to think about it as this. You are submitting to these things only so much as it is not leading you to stand in opposition to God. Second Chronicles chapter 33, verses 10-13 through 13, there was a king named Manasseh. It was a very wicked king. And there's a good example of how God esteems it whenever people humble themselves and submit themselves to God, right? Uh, we read in Second Chronicles 33, verses 10 through 13, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. And he was in distress. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Manasseh was a wicked king. He really was. I believe it was Manasseh who actually put Isaiah the prophet to the, to death, if I remember correctly. And Manasseh, when God judged him and had a foreign army come against him, put you know pretty much bind him, take him with hooks and bronze chains, and put him in the, as a prisoner to Babylon, a distant country. There, in a dungeon, bound with chains, Manasseh humbled himself and cried to the Lord and humbled himself before God. And God restored him, brought him back out of the dungeon, put him back as king over Israel. This shows you how highly the Lord esteems our humbleness, right? So let's briefly talk about practical application. When dealing with people, it is often pride that keeps us from humbling ourselves. Pride, it has been said, is when a person or a believer forgets their place before God. And that does bear out the more you think about it. We have no reason to be prideful in any way, shape, or form unless we forget our place before God. Our feelings of being offended, of having our faults pointed out to us, or of simply not getting what we want, they make us obstinate. They harden our hearts, and we refuse to budge. We're like, oh, I shouldn't be treated this way. Well, why? Christ was treated worse. Christ didn't do anything wrong, and he was treated like he was called Beelzebub. He was pretty much called an agent of Satan. Um, we say, well, I shouldn't shouldn't have to do this or that. Really? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 41 through 42, Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. That statement where it says, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too, is a direct reference to Roman law at the time. The Jews were very upset and they were very angry with the Romans because the Romans were 
pagan nation that were ruling over them, right? And Roman law said that any Roman soldier could stop a random Israelite, a random person, and say, hey, carry this for me for one mile, right? And it's just, you're just treated like you're just a servant, right, to these people. And so the Lord says, no, don't just go one mile with him, go two. You know, you go above and beyond, right? Become a servant to others. It's like we, so whenever we get this mindset, oh, I shouldn't be treated this way, or I shouldn't have to deal with that way. Any time that you get into that attitude, you know it's not God. You know it's not the Spirit of God, and you need to forget your feelings. Anything that begins with poor me is not from God. It's not poor you. Corey Tenboom said any time that she's had the, had the enemy come against her, it always starts a conversation with, oh, poor Corey, right? And that's true when you really think about it. Whenever you get that that kind of sense of ought in you against things, right? Well, it shouldn't have to be this way. I shouldn't have to deal with that way. No, that's pride. This doesn't mean, of course, that we have to ignore legitimate hardships, trials, or persecutions. You know, sometimes these things are just the natural course of life. Sometimes it is because you're a Christian. It doesn't mean you have to ignore that they're happening or deny that they're happening. We're talking about positive confession that... Um, false teaching. You can acknowledge things, but the way you handle it is what matters. And so regarding submission to God, I want you to think about this. Is there anything that God does not have a right to do to us? Is there anything that God can put you through or allow to happen to you? Because God's not always the one doing these things to you. Is there anything that God can allow to happen to you? that he does not have a right to do to you. Anything that he does, and in the end you still go to heaven, you still come out on the top end of that deal. Many times we are more willing to accept persecution than we are to accept God telling us how to spend our spare time or what we are to watch or listen to. And this really is hypocrisy on our part. It's it's easier for us sometimes to think about, well, Lord, if it would just be so much simpler if there's like some Nazis came in, drew a line on the ground and said, all right, everybody who's for Jesus Christ over here and we're going to shoot you. That would be easy to us. But if people come in or God starts telling you how to handle your day-to-day decisions, your day-to-day life, your quote-unquote spare time, whenever if we're believers, we have no spare time where we are not followers of Christ. It is supposed to filter into everything that we do, how we think, how we exercise, um, our thought life, watch, what we listen to, everything. And so this is hypocrisy on our part. Um, just think about it this way. Do you realize that being okay with God having us killed for Christ, but not being okay with God dictating our entertainment or lifestyle choices, is giving God how our life ends, but not how it is lived? And I want you to think about that. Are you okay with how God ends your life, but not how God leads your life? The main part of our submission to God is seen in that we have given to God every part of our life. We seek Him. He is our portion and our delight. Um, one verse that I came across, it's trying, don't take it out of context, but I just there's a part in here I just really liked in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, Seek the Lord all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So that's in a different context, but it's when we haven't submitted an area of our life, 
a situation or a decision to the Lord, we get angry when it doesn't go our way. We're like, we get, we kind of just stand in opposition to God because we don't want to do what God says. Even if it, sometimes it's not even that God is telling us that. It's like we just, it's like we realize that God might ask us to do something with this. And it doesn't mean God is going to take something from us or make us make a certain decision. What God wants is he wants to, you to give him that place to make that choice. And he, you know, we need to learn to be in the place like, Lord, if you lead to the left or the right, it is your decision. Lord, I desire this, but Lord, I give you the place to make the choice. That's the attitude that we are supposed to have before God. It is God's choice. If we, we can't just say, God, I want your life, but you can't have mine. When we're using God as a means to get what we want instead of submitting ourselves to God for him to use us for what he wants. And I say that we were you we when we do that, when we stand in opposition and we get angry about something, whenever somebody points out a fault, whenever we need to be corrected, whenever there's a hard decision or something, in a hard situation, people treat us wrong, right? And whenever we don't just give it to God and let God deal with it, right? We just we just yield it to him and we get angry about it. We stew about it, right? We are then trying to use God as a means to get what we want instead of submitting ourselves to God for him to use us for what he wants. It's like, God, I obeyed you. Why am I not getting what I want? Well, because sometimes God getting what he wants is contradictory to our selfish desires. God is looking at things from an eternal perspective. There are things he needs to purge you of. It's part of being a branch abiding in the vine. John 15, he's going to purge you. Part of it's going to be pride. And he's going to need to deal with these things. He's going to need to put you in places of testing. He's going to need to teach you to submit when things are difficult. He's going to need you to learn to ignore your feelings. Not just so that we get what we want, but so that he gets what he wants. And what he wants is always for our good. Regarding temptation, almost every kind of temptation can be ended by simply submitting to God. Indeed, Almost every kind of temptation is the enemy trying to lure you away from that state of submission in your soul. And the more you think about that, the more you realize that's true. God says, don't watch things like this, or don't watch things like that. And we linger, we hesitate. Why? Because our flesh wants to. And we like the feeling that comes from that self-leading pride, right? But whenever we just say, Lord, I I feel that. I feel the lure of the flesh. I feel the lure of self wanting to indulge itself. But I'm going to ignore that and just give you that choice. Lord, you said not to. I'm going to put it off. That's whenever you start overcoming. You ignore feelings. You ignore experience. And you say, God, I'm outsourcing my decision in this to you. So by way of application, learn to abide in the posture of submissiveness to God. There's this one thing I remember years ago, the Lord kind of, I don't know, convicted me of or worked in me when I was thinking about something and kind of thinking along these lines, right, of submitting to God. And there's sometimes whenever things occur to you, I think the enemy tries to stir us up about certain things to be like, well, what if this happens? And you're like, well, I don't know if I could deal with that, right? Or it's like your worst fear happening. And I think there's a there's a good thing that ha- that needs to happen whenever the enemy comes in and he says, well, what if this happens? And you exercise yourself to be like, even so, I will follow the follow the Lord. It's like, no, it would be difficult. It would be it would be very painful. But even so, I will follow the Lord. It is decided. 
you know, bring upon me my worst fears. If the Lord allows it to happen, I will still serve him. Whenever you learn to exercise that kind of submissiveness in your thought life, and you'll find it will be much harder to get you in a place where you can get hit by a freight train. When temptation comes, assert your submission to God. Because temptation is the enemy trying to lure you away from the will of God. God says, don't watch this. You're like, okay, God, I will not watch this. Enemy's like, well, what about this? You know, it's right here. It's right here in front of you. Just take it. Just do this. Do that, right? And it's going to tempt you. It's going to leverage your feelings, the feelings and the excitements of the flesh, pleasures of sin for a season, which is sometimes you just getting away with something, not necessarily lust in a physical act or anything like that. Um, You saying something, cutting to someone, you getting them back, right? Things like that. Well, no, the Lord says, do not render evil for evil. You treat the person right, even when they treat you evil. You're like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because God said so. I need no other reason. So when temptation comes, immediately get to that place of submission to God. Be like, no, that is not the Lord's will. When there are quarrels with people, be humble towards them and examine yourself to see if you are only acting or behaving a certain way based on your feelings. Now, it doesn't mean that you immediately cave in, right? I'm not saying be a pushover. I'm not saying immediately just say that you're wrong or immediately believe you're wrong. No. But you need to seek the Lord, get before the Lord, and say, Lord, I just want to clear away all the emotion. Lord, help me. Help me to know what is right in your sight. You know, help me to clear away the excitements of the flesh and those things that my pride and all sorts of stuff. Lord, is am I right or am I wrong? And then I mean, you always seek the Lord about things like that. Don't be a pushover. You always stand upon truth. But sometimes even whenever you're standing upon truth, you need to make sure that you're doing it the right way. You need to you can stand upon truth boldly with a humble attitude. Because you're not insulting. You're not condescending. And there's a lot of temptation Whenever you're dealing with irrational people or difficult circumstances, I know from experience. And there's times whenever I've had to apologize to people for how I've handled something, even though my point was right. There's been times when I've been wrong in my point, and I have to apologize for how I handled it and my point. But we need to learn to ex ourselves in these things. And finally, seek the Lord with all your heart, not just seeking your will. Uh, Psalm 27, 8, I like what it says, when the Lord said, when you said unto me, seek me, or seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. That needs to be the cry of our heart. Everything else set aside, I want the Lord. Right? But submission to people comes in part with that. Submission to things that God has said, so long as they don't lead contrary, comes in part with seeking God. We cannot not do what God said and submit to him. It's a contradiction. So remember, God gives grace to the humble. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. We do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know Him personally. 
If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. That's Brother John at remnantbiblefellowship.com.